today we're starting a new series that's going to last probably about four weeks, um, and it's called The Way of God, The Way of God. And I want to tell a little story to kind of set up where we're going today. Uh, a few years ago, our family actually it was in 2020. We got to go on a little family trip down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee in the summer, and we stayed at this beautiful whew, little, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. It was a really awesome trip. Um, we stayed at this beautiful little campground uh, called Little Arrow na- near Cades Cove. Um, I think we have a picture of Cades Cove here. Anybody ever been to Cades Cove? You know what I'm talking about? Ohio people love Gatlinburg. I know that. And, uh, and so we got to go. We stayed near Cades Cove, and it was just the quintessential trip. Um, you know, the first night of the trip, in our, we were, like, in the campground, and I, I went out to go to the bathhouse, and I'm just walking to go to the bathroom, and I look up, and a bear just walks right in front of me. And I ran back to get my family, and I was like, hey, come out and see this bear. And I drug him out, and we couldn't find it. And I was like, well, let's go back. And he was at our camper, and we couldn't get into the camper because the bear was there. So the family piles into the car, you know, because there's a bear there. And so I think we have a video. This is a video I took with my phone. This, my son left the marshmallows out. That is our, those are our ma- marshmallows, and he's just chomping away, just going after it. It was awesome. It was a cool trip. We got to we got to do some cliff diving at this little place called the Sinks. Anybody ever go to the Sinks in in Gatlinburg? Like one person in the back, maybe. This this is a picture of me. I think that's me in the top right hand corner. It's about 25, 30 feet. I'm just going for it. It was super fun. It was like an awesome trip. And of course, because it's Gatlinburg, we got to hike some some really awesome trails. You know, with the fam. And uh, this is a picture of me and my son, Levi, getting ready to hike one of those trails. The look on my face is when I'm, I'm realizing, oh, this is not going to be boring. This is actually going to be fun because falling deaths have occurred, all right? And so I'm excited. There's high vertical drop-offs, you know, and this is me also closely controlling my children, you know? So get on here, buddy. You're not going anywhere because you could die, all right? So we had such an amazing time, and it was so incredible. One of, that trail, actually, that we were on is called the Laurel Falls Trail. And Laurel Falls is a really beautiful hike. It's, it's easy enough that you could do it, like with, your, with little kids. Um, but the payoff at the end is just spectacular, right? I think we have a picture of my kids in front of the falls. Do we have that? Yeah. Four of them, four of the five. Uh, there at the falls. That's just part of the falls. It's really beautiful. And this is the whole fam at the beginning of the trail. Like as we're starting out full of high hopes, I think we have that picture. Yes. So that's my parents there on the left. That's my wife and I. That's all of our kids. And we're getting ready to hike to see Laurel Falls. Now Laurel Falls is the destination. But notice on the sign here, it says Laurel Falls Trail. It's interesting, oftentimes in hiking, whatever the destination is you're trying to get to, Laurel Falls, they'll name the trail Laurel Falls. So the way to Laurel Falls is by walking in the way of Laurel Falls. The way to God is by walking in the way of God.
John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. And Philip said, we don't even know where you're going. (laughs) So how can we know the way? You ever have moments like that in your spiritual life? God's like, you know, it's just this. And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. We don't even know where you're going, Jesus. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. The way to get to God is by walking in the way of God. Jesus is God. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is the destination. And the way to get to Jesus is by walking in the way of Jesus. 1 John 2 verse 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Another translation says, or walk as he walked. Walk in the way of Jesus. See, we tend to think of our lives uh, in destinations. You're going, you're going up through high school, like if I can just graduate high school, right? That's the destination. And then you get there and you're like, well, that wasn't quite good enough. If I can just graduate college or if I can just get this job. And then you get that and you're like, okay, that's good. But no, that wasn't it. If I could just get married, if I can just get the girl, if I can just get the guy, you get that. It's like, okay, well, that's nice. But really what I want is to have kids and have the home. If I could just have the kids and have them and you get there and you're like, well, that's not really, we'd actually need more money now because we're having kids and we have the home. And so now I need a better job. And we tend to think in destinations, but God tends to think by the way of the journey. We're most concerned about the destination where we're going. God is most concerned about the way in which we get there. For example, let's just call it like it is. We're all trying to get to heaven, right? We're trying to get to heaven. So so how do you get to heaven? Well, you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, how do you do that? You confess him as Lord and you get baptized in water, right? That's what scripture says. That's how you receive Christ. You do that, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And so we tend to think, oh, to get to heaven, I'll say a prayer, and I get baptized. Check, check. There, I did it. And what, what very often happens is people say the prayer, they get baptized, but then they go back to living the way that they always used to live. What is the definition of heaven? The definition of heaven is being with God, being with him. It's eternal life with God. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is eternal life. Eternal life starts the moment you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. It starts when you know him. That's the definition of heaven. Knowing him. Walking with him. So knowing him is the true goal. And when you, when you know someone, really I think getting saved I guess is, sometimes it's like you've just met Jesus. And salvation is really just the beginning 
And it's an invitation to a journey where you spend time with him. You get to know his stories. You ask him questions. You live life with him until one day he takes you to be with him forever. And so the way to get to God is by walking in the way of God. Throughout this series, um, I want to talk to you about four pathways that God calls us to live in. And this is going to be language that we use a lot in our church from here on out. And we're actually hoping to develop, Lord willing, a discipleship class or course um, that helps people get started walking in the way of God. And we're hoping to actually start that in March. And so I want to kind of lay a foundation over the next few weeks. And that, that class will really be for people who are new to God or new to our church family uh, to help them know what God's calling them to. And there's four pathways. There's four things that we want to help you do as a church. And these are the four pathways. Love God, live free, build family, and bring the kingdom. Love God, live free, build family, bring the kingdom. Love God because in Matthew 22, Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. You want to know what God wants you to do in life? This is the greatest thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God is the number one thing that we are called to do as believers. Live free because Galatians 5 verse 1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Galatians 5.13 says you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. So what is true freedom and how do you live in it? How do you walk in it? Build family. God created family. God is all about family. Family is the foundation of society. It's the foundation of community. It's the foundation, therefore, of of nations. It's the foundation of, of life. God loves family. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor and obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children, but train them up in the way they should go. And oh, by the way, if, if anyone, if any of you do not take care of your natural immediate family, you deny the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. That's scripture. That's such a strong warning because God so cares about family. And when you become a believer, you are adopted into his family. And so we're going to talk about building up our natural families, becoming, building strong marriages, becoming awesome parents, building up kids who walk in the way of God, but also building up the church family, building up the body of Christ. And then the last one, bringing the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom. Jesus said, he said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all nations and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of? See, so often we talk about the gospel and we, we just are talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now the cross is the foundation. It's, it's the way that we begin walking with God. It's, the, it's our way. It's our access to God. But it's, it's the way of salvation. But that's just a beginning. 
It's just the beginning. The gospel of the kingdom is the fullness of the teachings of Jesus, of how to to live and how to walk with him. Um, As he said, when you make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so that's the gospel of the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom of God, being full of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Holy Spirit, walking in spiritual gifts to bring the fullness of God to the world around us, to make a difference and an impact in this world. That's what it looks like to bring the kingdom. And so these are the four things that we, God calls us to do, and we want to help people do. This is how we're, the language we're using as we're talking about making disciples. And these are what we're calling four pathways because these are four things that if you get lost in life or in your walk with Jesus, you feel like God's far. You're like, man, I'm missing something. I'm stuck in a rut. You can look at these four trail markers, love God, live free, build family, bring the kingdom and go, am I doing these four things? Am I living in these four ways? Am I loving God? Am I living free? Am I building family? Am I bringing the kingdom? And, and chances are in those moments you'll go, oh, there's one of those areas. Oh, I'm, that's, that's the issue right there. And you can get back on track and get back on that path. And so that's what this is about. Now, I say we want to help you do these four things. But they're really things that you do over and over and over again. They're daily walk kinds of things. For example, think about prayer. We all know that as Christians, we should pray. Okay, I prayed one time. Like, it was like 15 years ago, I prayed to receive Christ. I'm going to heaven. Okay, I prayed. Scripture says be devoted to prayer. That means live a life of prayer. That means it's, it's your way of life. You're always praying. Every day, you're tuning in. You're connecting with God. It's a way of life. And so... These four pathways, these four things are also similar to that. They're a way of life. They're a way of living. And so that's where we're going over the next few weeks. And it's really going to lay, I guess, what I would call a discipleship foundation in our church. And this is the language we want to do, or the language that we want to use. And so the rest of our time together, I want to talk about the first one there, loving God. Loving God. You've probably heard there's a difference between knowing God, knowing about God, and knowing God. A lot of people know about God. Very few people know God. But the Lord impressed on me a few years ago. (laughs) There's a lot of people that know God that don't really love him. Like their whole Christian life is duty. It's like, well, I need to obey. I need to do this. You know, I don't... But they don't have this heartfelt affection, love for Jesus, for God. And so I want to talk to you about loving God. This is one that's near and dear to my heart. Because back in 2007, I was begging God, show me my calling. What is my calling? What is my calling? What is my calling? And I was asking him over and over. I was sitting in a church service just like this, the church I grew up in. I was in a very difficult season of life. What is my calling? What is my calling? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that church service very powerfully, very clearly. He said, your calling is to teach people how to love God. And I was so excited 
that he spoke to me. And I was like, I know what my calling is. And I, I ran out of that church. I was so excited. And I told my wife. And then after I told her, I thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> How do you do that? And it sent me on this quest of trying to learn how to love God myself. And now that I've ended up in the position that I'm in, which at that time I had no idea that that's what that meant as well, like literally teach people how to love God. That's like been a guiding north star for me, a compass for me. When I get off track or when things get confusing, am I teaching people how to love God? And here's the deal about these four pathways. They do go in order and they do build on one another. Loving God is primary. Jesus said, as I've already said in Matthew 22, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you don't know how to love God, you're not going to be able to live free. If you don't know how to love God, you're not going to be able to build your family up in the love of God, which is the most important thing that you could build them up in. If you don't know how to love God, you're not going to be able to bring the kingdom of God because it's a kingdom based on his love. And so if we miss this thing, we miss everything. So what does it mean to love God? <laughs> Religion will tell you that loving God is doing a bunch of things to show him that you love him. But the gospel of Jesus is truly about what God has already done to demonstrate his love for you so that out of your gratitude, because you love him, you do good works. Out of gratitude, because you love him. In other words, if I could say it this way, and this, this is the first thing that, that you have to get through your head when it comes to loving God the first and foremost way that we love God is by receiving his love for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. John said in, in 1 John, to love God is to obey his commandments. And so immediately we think of obedience and we start thinking of the checklist and of things that we need to do. <clears throat> but before we get to that, I'm telling you, the first thing that we need to do is receive our own belovedness, is to receive the fact that he loves us. If we skip this step, we've skipped our salvation. If we skip this step, then all of our good works and all of our obeying of God will be to earn God's love for us. And we can't earn it. It's already been bestowed. Let me show it to you in scripture. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. It is his essence. It is who he is. He defines love. And he is love. 
Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is a big one. The meaning of life is to love and to be loved. And actually, if you flip that around, that's a better order. The meaning of life is to be loved by God and then one day grow up and learn how to love him back. The meaning of life is to be loved by God and other people and then learn how to love God and to love other people. That is the meaning and essence of life. Why? Because God is love and you and I were created in the image of love to just be loved and then to love in return. So from the time you were born, before you ever did anything bad, God loved you. And from the time you were born, perhaps more importantly, before you did anything good to earn God's love, he loved you. You were just loved. You were his beloved. We see the father bestowing his love on Jesus at Jesus's baptism. It says when he goes to get baptized, the father speaks over him and says, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. God says, I'm so proud of you. Now think about the timing of this. Jesus has not started his ministry yet. Jesus has not done any great miracles. He has not raised the dead. He has not fed the 5,000. He's not healed the sick. He's not preached one sermon. And the father says, I love you. And I'm so proud of you. God loves you. That is preeminent. That is primary. God is love. The meaning of your life is to learn how to receive the fact that God loves you, and then learn how to love him back and to love other people as well. So 1 John goes on to say it this way. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. We love, we have the ability to love because God first loved us. You could not breathe unless God had created you and given you breath. You would not be alive unless God gave you a heartbeat. And by the way, scripture says he sustains all things by his powerful word. So he created all things. The idea that God created things, set it in motion, and now he's absent or he's pulled back is not true. It's not theologically true. It's not biblical because God spoke all things into existence and he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so you live because he lives. You love because he gave you the capacity to love. And so we can't love him back unless we first receive his love for us. We can't properly and truly love other people the way that God wants us to without his love. 
because ultimately he wants us to learn how to love others with his love and his love goes way beyond our love. So the first step in you loving God is simply believing that he loves you and receiving his love for you. Believe that it's true and receive it. Because the truth is, God made us to be able to love, but we haven't done a very good job at it. We've become selfish, and therefore we become sinful. And so we don't love others. We don't even love ourselves the way that we ought to. And yet, while we were still sinners, Romans 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, while we were in that state of sinful selfishness, God sent Jesus to die for us on a cross. We love because he first loved us. And when he saw us in that state, he showed us the full extent of his love. And greater love has none than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. True love, demonstrating the way, showing the way. This is how you love. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. God loves you so much that even when he saw you in your sinful state, in your prideful state, in your broken state, he came down to reconcile you to himself through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John six twenty nine, this is the work of God. This is the work of God to believe in the one he sent. That is the work of God. So before we start talking about good works, we need to talk about just believing that true love came down, made himself known, and then laid down his life so that we could be reconciled to God. So the first way that we begin to love God is by receiving his love for us. And something you'll notice on these four pathways is, is with, within each pathway, within each way of living, there's just like on a trail to get to a destination, there's many steps you take, right? And so when it comes to loving God, there's many steps in loving God, if you will, if you could use that language. The first step is receiving what he's done for you. Believe Jesus, believe that he came to die for you on a cross to reconcile you to God. You didn't do anything good to deserve that. He just loves you. That's why he did it. It's all based on his love. We love because he first loved us. And then, therefore, Scripture says, receive that. Receive that as a fact. Receive Jesus as your Lord, which means to receive love as your Lord. Not your love, not your definition of love. Receive the love of God as the Lord of your life, to rule over your life. John Chapter 1 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what are, what are, how do you receive the love of God? And if you're new to church, if you've been in church a while, you're probably like, I know, I know. But man, you got to understand only about 28%, well actually now it's 33% of people in this area go to church there are tens of thousands of people in this area. The vast majority of people now are not growing up in church. And then finally one day somebody invites them and they come in and they don't know. 
you would be amazed how many times people ask me like, you know, I, I want to I follow God and I just don't know what he wants me to do next. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit, this has happened many times now, the Holy Spirit would be like, ask them. And I'll ask them what I'm about. Have you done these things that I'm, that I'm about to tell you? And they'll be like, no. And I'll be like, that's what you do. That's what he wants you to do next. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. Okay? So first of all, confess it with your mouth. Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So confess with your mouth. That's why we say, hey, you know, raise your hand, say this prayer, come up front, pray with someone. Confess Christ as your Lord. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and, and I want you to be the Lord of my life, and I want to follow you, right? Number two is baptism, getting baptized in water. Jesus calls everyone who wants to follow him and have him be the Lord of their lives to get baptized in water because it symbolizes everything we believe as Christians. We go under the water symbolizing, that we call it the watery grave. This is Romans chapter 6, that we die to our old life, our life of sin and selfishness and doing what we want. And, and the water symbolizes the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. And we come up out of the water to live a new life with God. And so it's a prophetic act. I'm, I'm taking up my cross, meaning I'm going to crucify my old life. And I'm coming up out of the water, a new creation, a new person. I belong to Jesus. And I'm going to walk with him in the newness of life. That's what baptism is. Acts 2 verse 38 The first sermon preached by the apostles, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. If you sincerely confess Christ as Lord, get baptized in water, give your life to him, you will receive the precious presence gift of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living within you. This empowers you to overcome the sin that you used to not be able to come overcome on your own. This empowers you to live a new life. You begin to be able to commune with God, to hear the voice of God for yourself, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you can be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, given spiritual gifts, empowered in the Holy Spirit. Right? That's something God does. That's something he does. But you position yourself to receive it when you say, I want that. I'm going to confess you as Lord. I'm going to get baptized in water. Every person we baptize, we pray over them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so get baptized. Or I'm sorry, confess Christ as Lord. Get baptized. What are some other steps on this pathway of loving God? Something I would call daily devotions. A devotion is what we call, you know, reading scripture and and praying every single day. If you're new to that, this is a great time to start when we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. I would highly recommend you go on the Bible app, also called YouVersion. Find a reading plan that, that you would like to do and just start reading the Bible. Read a couple chapters a day and then pray. It, it's that simple to get started. But, you know, the disciples of Jesus said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so prayer is, is something you have to learn how to do. You know, sometimes I meet people who come to faith, they come to know Jesus, and they're just like, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to do. And they feel all this shame about it. I'm like, well, you just started. You, you just got saved. Like, of course you don't know. That's okay, right? Everyone in here, there was a time we didn't know. You have to learn. 
And so start walking with Jesus. Start reading his word. Listen, Jesus is the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus lived out the word of God perfectly, live in, 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 in reality, right? And in, the, in life, right? As a man. But he is the word. And so when you spend time in the word, you're spending time with Jesus. You will get to know Jesus. And this word is powerful. It is living and active. And so spending time in the word daily is like the very first like spiritual discipline that you need to learn how to start. You're spending time with God. Getting saved and baptized and then not spending time in the word and prayer and going to church and all that. That's like getting married and then you, you never see them again. You're like, hey, great wedding. And then you don't spend time with them. God, the whole, this whole thing is God wants to be with you because you're his family. We sin and fall away. We are disconnected from him. He wins us back through Jesus. He's like, now I want to be with you. He is our inheritance. Do you know who, what God's inheritance is? You. <laughs> Me. We are God's inheritance. He's like, I want my inheritance. I want my people. I want to spend time with you. Jesus wants to get to know you. If you're not in love with Jesus, then I think the only reason is because you don't truly know him. And you can know all about him. Some of you aren't in love with Jesus because you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what that's like. And, and you've got some story about church hurt, the way some Christian mistreated you, the way some church mistreated you. And if that's you, I would just say, do not judge God based on how some of his people have misrepresented him. So if you're looking at that and going, yeah, I don't think I'll ever love Jesus because of that, that's not Jesus. That was some flawed person's interpretation of Jesus. If you truly get to know him, you will love him. You'll be like, whoa, wow. And listen, I'm just here to tell you, Developing a heart affection for Jesus can take some time. Like when I got saved, I, I got saved in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> like I don't want to go to hell. Anybody else? <laughs> it's okay. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. It's kind of like the dad, like, oh, I just don't, I'm just going to stay clear of him because I don't want to get in trouble. But then as you grow up, you're like, oh, he was that way because I was such a rebellious little kid. <laughs> so he always had to get on me. But then as you grow up, you're trained by wisdom. Fear of the Lord keeps you in wisdom. Wisdom causes you to do what's right. When you do what's right, you eat the really good fruit of righteousness. You see how life goes better for you. All things go better for you. And you go, oh, my ways were not good. My ways were rebellious. My ways didn't have this good fruit. When I deny myself, I feel like that's like death. I feel like, oh, God, why do you have it out for me? You're always wanting me to deny myself. But when I do that and I do what he wants, 
My life starts having all this really good fruit. There's more love. There's more joy. There's more peace. There's more hope. There's more blessing. There's more favor. And you're just like, oh. And then you go, oh, wow. (laughs) He's really awesome. Oh, wow. Anything you've ever commanded me to do was for my benefit. For my benefit. Because you love me. Because it's what's best for me. Wow. You're so good. That's why John says to love him is to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. His commands aren't burdensome. Whatever he calls you to do, in the end, it will be what's best for you, for your family, for the people in your life, for your church family, for your community, for your nation, for your world. And so, a few steps of learning how to love God. First, receive his love for you. Confess faith in him. Receive what he did for you on the cross. And then begin spending time with him. Read your Bible, pray every day, those daily devotions. And then I would say this, this is like 101 base level. Become a part of a church family. Absolutely make sure that you're going to church week in, week out. This is the principle of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The the seventh day was wholly set apart. They were to rest. They were to do no regular work. And they would read the scriptures. They would go to synagogue, right? Which is our version of, is their version of what we would call church. To be with other believers. To spend time focusing on God, learning about God, spending time with God. In other words, Sabbath was really God saying, I want you to have a whole day off of work so that we can spend it together. I want to spend time with you. And so being a part of a church family, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he said, you were, or, uh, Paul writes, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up the habit, the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Like we get into the habit of, I'm just not going to go to church. I'm just not going to go this week. And, and man, I'll just tell you, the times when you're struggling in your faith to stay connected to Jesus one-on-one, when you're struggling to pray, when you're struggling to spend time with him or do what he wants you to do, that habit of church community will help pull you back, help you keep, keep you in him, help you abide in him. When you read the, the New Testament of the Bible, the Christian faith is primarily communal. The way that the New Testament reads, meaning corporate, meaning family, right? And so the personal relationship with Jesus, our faith is deeply personal, but it was never meant to be private. It was meant to be shared. And if you find that you're struggling, you know, this, this is some of the checklists you can go through. Am I, when I hear about people struggling, you know, the first thing that I want to ask them about is, you know, have you been in the word? Have you been praying? Have you prayed about this particular struggle? Have you researched scriptures, read the scriptures on it, prayed into it? The next question is, 
Have you been coming to church? Are you staying, are you staying in community? Do you have other Christian friends that you can talk to? And this is where you form those friendships, right? Um, finding that Christian community. And so these are some of just the beginning ways that you begin to walk in the way of loving God, receiving what he's done for you, and then spending time with him every single day in his word, in prayer, going to church, making church your habit, making church your habit, making church family a non-negotiable part of your week. Because, listen, this is the body of Christ on the earth. The church is the body of Christ on the earth. And the, the people that, that I've looked up to in history and in my circles, in my life, that love God the, the most, love the church the most, are devoted to serving the church the most. Because how can we love the world out there if we don't first love one another? And that's basically what the New Testament says. Love everybody, but start with the family of believers. Love one another. Jesus said, when you love one another, that's how the world will know that you're truly my disciples. And so staying connected, staying a part of a church family. Why are these spiritual disciplines important? Why is it important for you to learn how to pray for yourself, to to read the Bible for yourself, to have this personal connection walk with God? instead of just coming to church and relying on a sermon once a week, right? Why is it important for you to have these spiritual disciplines in your life? Two main reasons. If the way of God or the way to God is walking in the way of God, then if we stop walking in the ways of God, guess what? We drift from God. We grow far from God. And the second reason is this. Jesus defined loving God for us. So he said the greatest commandment is loving God. Well, how do we do that? John 14, verse 5, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, you will do what I say. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Which means if we're not doing what he says, then we can say with our mouth, we love him all we want. But we really don't. So our actions, our lives, in other words, our way of living has to align with the profession we make. Or else we have a divided heart and we're not living as someone with integrity. 1 John 5, 2 and 3, John writes, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. Obeying God's commands is the way that we show our love back to God. After, that's important, we first have received his love, as we've talked about. So after we've received his love, then we do what he says to show our love back to him. And so the first command, as we've talked about, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first way you do that, receive his love for you. 
Confess faith, get baptized, start spending time in the word, start praying daily, make church a priority, find a church family that you're like, this is where God is calling me. If it's not here, then man, go find, keep going until you find that place and dig in and get committed and and get involved. But then what? What are the commands of God? Well, there's way too many to talk about today. That's why discipleship, Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them. That's conversion. That's evangelism. Make disciples, get them saved, get them in that relationship with Jesus. And then what? And then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded, Jesus said. So what else did he command? There's a whole lot of other things. Touches every area of our lives. A lot of them have to do with loving other people. Expressing that love. Caring for the poor. Praying for the sick. Visiting those in prison and in hospitals. Making disciples. Preaching the gospel. Being generous with your finances. There's so many other things. It's a journey of faith. You can't learn it all in one day. And that's why it's important. To have the spiritual disciplines to stay connected to him. To seek him daily. To seek him weekly. Through going to church, being part of a church family, because it takes time to learn all the ways that God calls you to love Him by obeying Him, by doing what He says. And so, this is just really the tip of the iceberg of what it looks like to start loving God. And these are the ways that we're called to walk in His love. And I want to invite you, uh, if you haven't already, to start walking in these ways and and to grow in your love for God because it is the greatest commandment. If you grow in your love for God, it will bless every other area of your life. And as I said, these pathways we're talking about, they build. If you learn how to love God, that will lead into living free, truly living as a free person that will lead into building your family up having an awesome marriage learning how to love your spouse learning how to love your kids and discipline your kids and train them up in the ways that they should go learning how to help build up the church family so that we can reach this community in this region for christ and see see hundreds and hundreds and thousands of other people come to faith in christ that's how the body gets built up as each part does its work man if you learn how to love god You will learn how to bring the kingdom, not just here, but when you go out there, bringing the kingdom into your workplace, bringing the kingdom to wherever God leads you to go in life, both across the street and across the world. I want to close with a story by a Christian author named Donald Miller. And this is the story that he opens his best-selling memoir with uh, called blue like jazz blue like jazz anybody read that book it's a really really uh great book he's a phenomenal writer um but this is the opening to that book donald miller writes i never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve but i was outside the baghdad theater in portland one night when I saw a man playing the saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes, and he never opened his eyes. 
after that, I liked jazz music. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It is as if they are showing you the way. I used to not like God because God didn't resolve. But that was before any of this happened. You know, if you're here today and you don't like God because God doesn't resolve or because life doesn't resolve, it's okay. Sometimes you have to see somebody love something before you can love it yourself. This is what I tell our worship team. A few months ago, I read that story to them. I said, our primary job when we lead worship is not to lead them. It's to love him. And so there's all kinds of weird things that happen when you get on a stage. You feel things like people are looking at me. Insecurity. That's why sometimes you might just see us just close our eyes and be like, turn our back. We just want to love him. Some of you have probably had experiences where you've been in a church, in a service, at a worship night where you saw someone loving him and you went, whoa. And it affected you. In fact, I remember the first time I saw someone getting undignified in worship. And it was at a youth conference. I think I was in the sixth grade. And it was Kurt's brother, our youth pastor. And they're playing this loud worship music in our church. We sang the traditional hymns, you know. And so there's a row of about 10 teenagers, 12 teenagers, and we're all just like, we do not do this at our church. And I remember I was at the very end that first night. And I remember, I remember feeling affection for God, but feeling like I couldn't express it just because there's people and it would be weird, right? And I remember feeling things, but standing like this. And I look down, and I see a row of teenagers, the same stance. And I see our youth pastor on the end, and he's just going berserk. <laughs> Dancing, singing. I don't remember what night it was. Probably night two or three. And I kept thinking, man, I want to do that. Man, I wish I was that free. To not care what people think, because that is in my heart. And then finally I went, eh, 
Forget it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to watch someone love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they're showing you the way. And so, if you, did, if you don't like God, if you used to not like God, and you need someone to show you the way, I want to invite you to be a part of our church family and to keep coming to church and keep watching. Because I can attest, anybody who gets on this platform, it's not a show. It's not just for fun, although it is fun at times. It's because they really love God. Anybody you meet, shaking your hand, giving you a hug as you come in, same thing. Anybody you see serving your kids back there, same thing. We're not a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And as I often like to say, If you ever find the perfect church, whatever you do, don't join it because you'll mess it up. (laughs) So we're not perfect. But I can tell you this, we love God and we really mean it. And so as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow me. Follow my example as I'm following Christ. Sometimes we need someone to show us the way, and that's okay. And so I want to invite you to be a part of our church family. Learn how to love God with us, because even those of us leading, well, let me tell you, we're still learning. We're still figuring it out. But this is our primary goal. This is our primary focus. If I could only talk about one thing, it would be this right here. Learning how to love God well because of all that he's done for us. I want to pray. I want to invite our ministry team to come up as we pray. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence here today. (laughs) We love because you first loved us, Jesus. So I just want to thank you for your love today. (laughs) Thank you for your love. (laughs) Thank you for creating us in love. Thank you for drawing each heart here to you. Thank you for opening up our hearts to salvation. Thank you for inviting us into your story. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us a calling that we were recreated as a new creation in you to do good works, which you prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to follow you, to suffer for you, to suffer with you, Jesus, for the glory of your name. It's an honor and privilege to serve your name, to serve you. It's an honor and privilege to give to further your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. It's an honor and privilege to share our stories out in the world with the person at work or the person at the gas station or the person at the, our friends at the cool kids' school events. It's our honor and privilege to share the reality of what you're doing in our lives. 
to point people to you, Jesus. It's an honor and privilege to invite people to church. It's an honor and privilege to invite people into our homes, to disciple people, to lead them to Christ, to just teach them what you've taught us, to teach them what we know so far, so that more and more and more people can come to know you, be saved, have eternal life, and learn to love you for themselves. And so, God, right now, I just pray with a heart of gratitude for what you've already done. And yet, I just kneel before you today, Lord. And I ask you to pour out your love into the hearts of these people. Pour out your love in this church. I pray that you would mark our church family with your love, God that it would be poured out, that we would be filled to the measure and even overflowing with the love of God. <laughs> that it would, your love would open our eyes to how much you've done for us so that the rest of our lives we will never stop praising you, we will never stop thanking you, we will never stop lifting our voices in song praising your name day after day as David said every day I will praise the Lord every single day because you're good and because you love us and if every person in here who knows you Jesus would begin to think about what you saved them from not just hell let me tell you (laughs) but a life of hell on this earth (laughs) And we praise you for that, God. That your ways are good. Your commands are not burdensome, but they they bless our lives. And they lead to flourishing in every way. And so we thank you, Jesus. We receive you as Lord. We receive you as Savior. And I pray that your love would be the Lord of our lives. (laughs) That anything you ask us to do, we know... This is good because this is love. Even when it's hard. When you point out sins or things we're struggling with and go, you know, you need to repent. You know what? And now I'm going to remove that from your life. You know what? I'm going to discipline you here because it's for your good. I'm going to bring correction that we would learn to trust your heart to go, oh, he's right. (laughs) I do need that removed. I do need disciplined and corrected. And we would even receive correction as your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. And Lord, I just pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit. (laughs) There are many here who've experienced that filling of your spirit. They know how precious it is. What a precious, priceless gift. But there are some here who have not experienced that. And so for them, Lord, I ask you to come and pour out your spirit on them into their hearts. I pray that you would begin to woo them to know you to want to give up their old lives, to want to give up the sin because they know there's something better. Yes, they have a life. Yes, that life is valuable. Yes, there are things that they have that are valuable. But there is a treasure in a field. And so you can sell all you own to go buy this field of Jesus because there's a treasure in it. And it's the gospel, it's salvation, and it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so, God, I pray for courage and boldness today for people that need to accept you as Lord, to people that need to go all in, to, for people that, that need to stop holding back and caring what other people think about them. 
because you are worth everything. And this world is not our home. And you say in your word, if anyone loves the world or anything in the world, the love of God is not in them. Because when the love of God comes in, it's like, oh my goodness, nothing else matters. Only eternity with him matters. Everything in this life is finite. It's a breath, it's a vapor, and then it's gone. And so pour out your, pour out your love into our hearts so that the world will lose its hold on us. So I pray for those, oh Jesus. I pray for those, not for those whom the world has a hold on, but for those who have a hold on the world. Jesus is calling you to just let go today. To let go of your life and anything you consider your life. And trust him. Give it all to him. Some of it he may give back to you and say, steward this well for me. (laughs) But some other things he goes, no, I'm asking you to give that up. For me, whatever it is, it's good. (laughs) And so, God, I pray for courage for these people you're calling to yourself today. Open up their hearts to you. I pray for veils to be removed so that they can see the light of the glory of the knowledge of Christ and whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we invite you in, Jesus, today. We invite you in, Holy Spirit. We receive your love for us once again, God. I pray for those who've always had trouble receiving your love, who've always had a performance mentality. Those who struggle feeling like they always have to prove themselves to you or earn it. I pray for an outpouring of belovedness on this church, God. I pray for an outpouring of belovedness on your people that they can know if they never go into ministry, if they never do a good work, you still love them. They can rest in your love today. Pour out your belovedness. Pour out your love in this place today. We thank you for all these things, Holy Spirit. We just invite you to come and lead this time of ministry and lead this time of prayer for the glory of God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.